Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. We're looking at Psalm 102 today. It's nice to look at these psalms. They, uh, I, I think this is one where, I mean, it's just there's so much emotion in it. Uh, I think there's a lot of language, too, that that sounds a lot like the language that we might use in worship. I think there's a lot of these connection points um, where, where we feel like a, a resonance uh, with ourselves and uh, this, this prayer here. Um, you know, partly because, too, it's just a prayer of one afflicted, right? I mean, it's, it's one of these more general psalms, it seems. And uh, it, it's just kind of, it's interesting to see how you kind of insert yourself and just kind of see how this reflects your own circumstances. So it's, it's kind of nice uh, devotional opportunity here. We have joining us as our guest, Pastor Dan Eddy, pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Good morning, brother. Good morning, it's, Pastor. Yes, great to be here with you. Yeah, it's good to have you back, and it's I really enjoy looking at the Psalms. I feel like I've just, uh, over the last couple of years, like being able to do so many of the Psalms on Thy Strong Word, I, I really have appreciated them a lot more than I think I used to. Psalms model our prayer life. And as I just concluded a four-month Bible study on prayer, it's not just for worship. And we look at the Psalms as descriptive examples of how we can approach the Lord in prayer. And it's been very helpful uh, in my pastoral care sessions with parishioners when they're facing struggles. It's good to point out a Psalm that's in prayer form and encourage them to really study that psalm to help them to have a deeper prayer life. Yeah, you know, and uh, it is interesting, too, that the the word prayer is actually even in the the superscription, the title here. Um, prayer, it's, it's very explicitly put as a prayer, and I think, of course, all 150 psalms can be described as prayers, but uh, just that, that theme of prayer is actually made explicit here, and it's kind of interesting like that here. Well, the superscription is actually quite long. Uh, yeah. You know, some of them it's just a psalm of David. Uh, some may put a, a context to it, a musical context. Or I know, you know, like Psalm 51, uh, that believe that David wrote that after he was forgiven by God through Nathan for mm-hmm. uh, killing Uriah and having an affair with Bathsheba. But this one here is a rather long superscription and provides a, a good context for what we're about to read. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to talk about context, right? Um, like, like you were saying, you know, sometimes with the Davidic Psalms, you can kind of look at it and say, well, oh, this seems to line up with this episode of David's life, but this might be a little bit different. But uh, yeah, without getting uh, too far ahead of ourselves here, um, would you, fittingly, uh, start us off with a prayer before we read the psalm? Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, Through your Son, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us, we ask that that Word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By the power of the Holy Spirit, enable our study of your Word this day to edify and to strengthen our faith. So let us be careful in our reading, quick in our listening, and in our speaking. Let us be wise so that we can help others more carefully discern and apply the power of your word for their everyday life. Enable that to happen for your glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 
You know, you, you mentioned this is a longer psalm. Um, I mean, certainly not among the, the longest. It's not, you know, 70-some verses or, you know, 100 verses plus or anything. Um, but, but, it, but it isn't just kind of one of these quick, short, 9, 10 verses sorts of things. Um, might be helpful to kind of, even before we read it, just kind of have a, a sense of uh, what, what kind of psalm it is in terms of, like, you know, what, what kind of structures maybe we should be keeping an ear out for. Um, you know, sometimes it's important for psalms of this length to be kind of like listening for and having an awareness of the, the sorts of shifts or if there's like three parts or something like that. Yes, uh, it's a lament that, that we do know, and the psalmist spends half of the psalm practically uh, lamenting in very great detail the struggles that he is facing in body, mind, and spirit. And then it appears like midway through the psalm, he shifts to a confession of faith, uh, adoring God and attributing various attributes to him. And then he takes his lament, his confession of faith, and seems to merge it at the end, where the thing that he's asking for is to live, and affirming his eternal life uh, with God. And so at least that's the way I see the structure uh, of, of this particular psalm. Well, and I think we'll have a chance to kind of talk about that a little bit more, because I think that sometimes these uh, these structures are a little bit difficult to, to tease out, and sometimes there's kind of multiple things going on. But uh, but yeah, I think I think thank you. That's a good a good way to start here. Um, let's go ahead then. Just re- we'll read the psalm straight through, and we'll come back around and take a look, maybe a little bit more detail about the uh, superscription and the first couple of verses. But first, just to kind of get it all out here on the table. Here's Psalm 102 in the English Standard Version. A prayer of one afflicted, when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day, my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come 
so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating psalm. Uh, you know, like, I feel like there's, there, there are so many themes in this psalm and phrases that seem very familiar. Um, you know, just stuff like, you know, hear, hear my prayer, O Lord. Uh, you know, I mean, well, I mean, that's, and let my cry come to you. There's, there's a very, I mean, that, that, well, maybe we should talk about how that comes up in the liturgy so much. Um, I think there's a lot of liturgical tie-ins. Um, you know, I wither away like grass, uh, God being enthroned forever, regarding the prayer of the destitute. I, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of themes that are, that are similar, but, uh, I think the thing that strikes me is what you were describing, like how this structure here though, it's, it's just a little bit different that it starts off with like, you know, like you were saying this, uh, this, you know, this, uh, this lament, this plea for mercy and, and you kind of get this kind of more confident, you know, okay, no, God's going to do something, right? Um, but but then, like in verse 23, it, I mean, I don't know, when I was just reading it even again, it just was hitting me just how it kind of seems to kind of suddenly go back to sounding sort of lamentful before kind of a, a more, I don't know, in-between balanced resolution. So, I mean, this kind of like back and forth and the, the shape of it just feels different. I don't know. What, what do you think? Like I had said before, I think the psalmist spends the first half really lamenting uh, to the Lord, pouring out his emotions, you know, describing yeah. uh, his days passing like smoke and the heart struck down, and he, he's so depressed he can't even eat. He's, yeah. he's like withering away on his bones because he hasn't eaten in a long time. And uh, describes himself as a lonely bird, you know, the owl being out in the middle of the desert is kind of the image we have of the owl, at least in the Old Testament. He's going through mourning, you know, you got verse 9, I eat ashes um, mingled with tears, uh, that's kind of reminiscent of, uh, you, you know, when Jonah went to preach to the Ninevites and the king, what did he do? He put on sackcloth, you know, this yep. fabric that makes yep. wool seem like velvet, and what did he do? He <laughs> sat in ashes. So you got yeah. mourning going on here. Um, the real challenge for me was in verse 10, when he says, because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. Yeah. So it begs the question, did this, did this psalmist, uh, is he seeing himself like Job the victim of of innocent suffering, 
where where he thinks God is behind his suffering. When we know from the book of Job, God was not behind the suffering. He allowed Satan to do it. Or is his indignation a Jonah uh, issue where uh, he's done something wrong and he's paying the penalty uh, for that, and and that lament is what he is facing because of it. So kind of a Jonah chapter 2 sort of lament. So that's Mm. the real question that I have is, what is the source of the indignation? That's a really good question. I like the way you're putting it, too. Is Is this more of a Jonah lament or more of a Job lament? Um, yeah, you know, and, and I, and I feel like you can, you can kind of see some elements of both. Um, yeah, well, 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 I think we can get into that. Um, but let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just take a look just first of all at, at the top. So, uh, turning our attention, we already talked a little bit about it. Um, whoops, uh, to, here we are, uh, the, the superscription, uh, a prayer of one afflicted. When he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord, um, you, know, you, you had actually mentioned uh, in your description of it the the phrase "pour out." You know, he's pouring out his emotion. Are there any other psalms that are like this that either uh, have a prayer of one afflicted in the title, or a pouring out complaint in the title, or for that matter, I mean, how many uh, psalms even have the word prayer in the superscription? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I, I can't answer that right off the top of my head, although I will have to tell you that the urgency to hear the prayer does remind me of, of Psalm 4, where David mm-hmm. says, you know, uh, listen to me, dear Lord, you know, respond to me now. There's a desperation uh, from the psalmist to, to, to be heard. So, um, so I, I notice that's in Psalm 4, the... the um, so it, it it is peppered throughout the psalms. Uh, you said what word were you looking for? Uh, complaint. Well, was that? Yeah, well, the um, I mean, I mean, actually, I mean, just there's kind of a lot of elements to this, but uh, yeah, complaint. Um, com- both complaint and prayer kind of strike me as unusual words, actually, for the superscriptions of the psalms. Um, I, I I confess I I didn't do like a a, a search beforehand, but just. Well, I just, I just did right here using BibleGateway.com, um, using the ESV. Complaint comes up in Psalm 55, verse 2, attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. Yeah. Uh, later in that Psalm, verse 17, evening and morning at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Psalm 64, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint, preserve my life from the yeah. dread of the enemy. So, and so it then comes Psalm up Psalm 142 I pour out my yeah. complaint before you. So so it, the word certainly comes up in the Psalter a number of places. Um but it, it seems like uh I, I guess I, I probably should have clarified. It, I, what's striking me is that having this like as the title or superscription where you put complaint as you know like we 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 just put like complaint as like the title of this hymn here in in Lutheran service book, right? Like that's that's kind of the thing that's making me say like, yeah, this is kind of unusual. Even um, even for the word prayer. So this this is uh, all right here. So I'm, I'm in, you inspired me. So here's electronic search, right? Um, prayer comes up in the title of a handful of psalms, uh, less than a dozen. Um, most of them. 
are prayers of David. You know, there's maybe like half a dozen uh, superscriptions that have something like a, like a masculine of David, a prayer, or something like a prayer of David. Okay, like not that many though. Um, there's Psalm 90, which is a pretty unique psalm that's that's uh, labeled a prayer of Moses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, um, there are not any other psalms that have the word prayer like this in the in the in the title in the superscription. So uh, this this psalm being you know a prayer of just an unnamed person, but one afflicted, uh, it makes it unique. Um, there there isn't actually another psalm like this. Um, and then as far as where we're talking about the word uh, for, you know, so yeah, so the word at the end there in, in Hebrew for for his complaint there, um, uh, yeah, actually, again, it's the only place where this occurs in the title of a psalm. So it just just as far as titles, it's actually a totally unique title. It reminds me of a, there, there was a, I forget the psalm already, but there was a psalm where it says a love song the only it's like the only one that's called that in the superscription so it, it just kind of stands out like when you put that in the title and nothing else has that in the title i think that kind of says something right it does very much the other thing too is the uniqueness is the fact that uh this is a psalm where again we don't know what the source of the the lament is okay yeah. and however uh, later in the psalm, uh, some commentators uh, make a uh, imply or infer that uh, perhaps this might have been a prayer offered in Babylonian captivity yeah. to restore the the nation of Israel, uh, what was left of it, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and that perhaps the indignation might have been not a personal one but one against uh, God's chosen people, and, and that uh, they're, he's uh, expressing what turmoil and pain and misery they're going through in slavery, and how they pray that the Lord will let them live and restore that relationship. So uh, that might be something that, that will help us put these words maybe in better context. Yeah, and I, th- I like that suggestion, uh, especially because... Well, uh, we, we, we've seen this, and um, this kind of gets to what you were kind of getting us into with the, the idea of how this is used liturgically, that these psalms, they they often use like a first-person singular, like me, my, I, but they can be spoken as, as, a, as a body, as a whole. You know, I mean, even the name Israel, right? Like your, your, your nation is called Israel. Well, that, that was a guy's name. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so in, in that sense, you know, is, is this like the what what uh, sometimes people in literature uh, call this the, the corporate personality um, in, in Hebrew? It, it doesn't say a prayer of, you know, an afflicted one. Right. It just it's just kind of prayer of the afflicted. And, you know, we kind of then as we read that kind of figure out, OK, is it. You know, is it, is it, is it kind of offered as a prayer for, you know, an individual when you're going through a bad time? Or is it like <laughs> the prayer of the afflicted people of God who are all together going through this dark hour in the uh, captivity, like you were it's saying? It's very interesting so you say that, because I like to look at several really good English translations. 
Yeah. So the newer evangelical heritage version puts the subtitle, you know, the editors, yeah. the afflicted ruler. The oh. New American Standard Version That's says a prayer of afflicted man for mercy on himself and on Zion. So they're hedging their bets <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah. there. The New King James Version calls it the Lord's eternal love. And then, yeah. of course, the ESV says, do not hide your face from me. So it's very interesting, the translators, how, yeah. they, how they view the context of this so that when people are going through, they have kind of a, an idea of what's going on before they engage in the psalm. Yeah, no, that, that is a good point, because uh, we, we have these titles that are in the, the original, which, which we have in Hebrew and also in Greek translation. Uh, but then there's the little titles that we stick in there, right? And we got to clarify that when you see those things in italics above, uh, you know, the, the chapter number, that that's just what the editors have put. And uh, you're right. right it's it not is inspired kind of, scripture. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that that is someone making a decision and kind of, well, I mean, like you were saying, sometimes kind of hedging our bets. Um, but yeah, okay. So like kind of bearing some of those uh, things in mind then. So verse one, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. I mean, this is something that we say word for word in our in our liturgy here, right? So, I mean, maybe you can speak a little bit to the liturgical use of this uh, phrase. It is used. Liturgy, to me, is a common expression for people unified in their faith. And it, it certainly shows uh, the attitude that we as Lutherans take in worship. There is a sense of humility that's there. Uh, we come humble before the Lord because our theology says that when you are humble, you are more likely to hear God's Word and from that be edified in the faith. If yeah. we approach God as something to conquer, you know, like reading a book or watching a show where we are the controller uh, because we are the worshiper, we do not tend to see the blessings of it. So for the psalmist to open up with this is a very humbling thing uh, to do, a very uh, a plea, if you will, for the Lord to to reach down and hear what we are saying. Yeah, I, and I think um, I think this kind of complements the interpretation that this is all God's people speaking together as as one body or one one personality, just with that idea of worship and liturgy, like you were saying, that common expression right that that common uh person that that we're knit uh, knit together into so i mean i don't think it's any surprise then um just taking a look here at like lutheran uh service book but like uh, in matins you know oh lord hear my prayer and let my cry come to you uh we got that like in in matins and in vespers um there's something very similar that's used in in compline a little bit different here my prayer oh lord listen to my cry uh because there are a couple places in the psalter that sound an awful lot like this um well and those but, are modeled from what i understand yeah. after monks and the monks modeled them after the uh hebrew tradition or the israelite yeah. tradition of praying so many times a day so yeah. you have morning you have midday you have uh, early evening you have the end of the day all of those were very prayer-oriented liturgies, and yeah. so it would make sense that they all share part of the Psalter that emphasizes that hearing my prayer, O Lord. Right, that, that idea of just this, this regular 
uh, prayer being regularly offered, uh, the idea of of the the hours, right, the different parts of the day, and every part of the day you you pray. Part of the idea of like praying constantly. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think there's there's something uh, there's a lot that could be said just just about that. Um, just about like a minute or two left here before a break, though. Um, do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. So uh, th- this, I think, in verse two, then it, it kind of they're they're kind of like poetic expansions, right? Of of like listen to me, <laughs> right? Like don't don't you know hide your face, right? You know people look away and act like they're not listening. Um, or they're just not listening, or you know, um, you know, answer me, right? So uh, they're they're poetic expansions there, but I think the the new wrinkle in it, right, is the day of my distress and the day when I call. This is a bad day that we are calling out in the midst of. Right, and there's an intensity there. Uh, the um, the construction of the verbs in the latter part of verse two have appeal or an intensity to them when he says, answer me speedily in the day when I call. And uh, so there's a there's a, a, an intense urgency to hear this prayer, that that he's hoping that this prayer will cause God, there's that hipful relationship there, cause God to really pay attention to what he's about to pray. Yeah, and, and, and I think, um, again, going back to that suggestion, you know, like, you know, what, what's, what's so bad about about this situation, right? Like, you know, and this, and this we're going to have to deal with the question you brought up for verse ten. Like, was it is it a punishment? Is it um, just kind of feeling like Job? Like, this is righteous suffering. What's what are we to make of this this bad day of distress? Well, we'll just have to chew on that for just a second here. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at Psalm one hundred two here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Psalm 102 today, uh, trying to, you know, go through this very unique psalm, uh, the only psalm that that it's it's an anonymous prayer um, in its self-description. Um, it's described as, uh, you know, uh, one's complaint. So very, very uh, unique psalm. And uh, one where, you know, we're trying to figure out what, what kind of, what, what kind of complaint is this? You know, what kind of, a day of distress are we talking about here? Uh, you can just, you can feel the emotion. Uh, we've got here as our guest, Pastor Dan Eddy, pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Uh, this one is pre-recorded. Unfortunately, no questions then. 
But that does mean a little bit more time to get into some of these uh, these other things that because, well, we have plenty of questions here. Uh, before we get back into those, I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. Their website is lhfmissions.org. So, uh, yeah, we were just taking a look at, you know, verses uh, two and th- uh, yeah, verse two, really. Um, verse three, then developing this here. Uh, fiery images for my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace that's yeah you know, and I, I have a couple different ideas going on here but um i mean i am thinking about one and maybe this is just because uh well you know not not uh <laughs> it's not an un- uncommon occurrence in, in uh, southern california uh where, where, where i live that you've got uh, fires that that break out, and this like happens every year, and uh, it, it's particularly bad wildfires the last several years. Um, but it's just it's just really striking how the smoke just lingers, um, and it can just be with you for a long time, um, even after like you know the initial blaze um, erupts. So I don't. Uh, there's part of me that's kind of wondering if this is a poetic language that's actually drawing on literal fire in the burning down of Jerusalem, like you had mentioned, if this is talking about a... Yeah, post- after the Babylonian invasion. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. The King James uses uh, consumed like smoke. Uh, the NIV, uh, instead of uses burn, glowing embers. King James burned as a, a hearth, hot coals, <laughs> scorched yeah. like a hearth. So, you know, some of the other English translations uh, are a little bit more dynamic in, in the descriptors that they're using here. Yeah, but what's interesting with all those, kind of no matter, like, what translation you're looking at there, everyone's sort of in agreement that it's something hot and fiery here. And that, that kind of, like, hot language, it's reminding me of uh, reminding me of this time that you know, I got this, uh, this plant for our patio area, and at first it just seemed like the thing was invincible. Like it just, no matter what, what happened, it just kept growing and growing. And it's one of these cool little climbing plants. And so it like, you know, uh, shoot out these little, I don't know if this is the right word, like tendrils and, and kind of like spiral around stuff. You know, it's one of these creeping flowering plants. But um, we had this ridiculous heat wave um, where it was just, I mean, I, qu- I couldn't believe it. It was, you know, this is Southern California, not far from the coast and it was over 110 and just a few days of that and this this plant was just getting destroyed and it just it went from green to brown and i just thought the thing was going to be totally uh just just killed off so when i look at you know um, in verse four my heart is struck down like grass and has withered i feel like that it's still kind of the idea of this this, this heat right like that, that, that's why the grass withers that you know hey it's happy with sunlight but you go just too hot, right? So, um, yeah, there's there's this oppressive heat that you can just feel in the way that we're talking about this in 3 and 4. There's a lot of passive verbs here, too. So the idea is this is something happening to him, not something he's originating, something that is coming from the outside uh, yeah. in, in these initial verses here. Yeah, so so you know maybe maybe so that you know it's referring to when the Babylonians uh, have you know put fire uh, to to this. I mean to the to the city. Um, I mean it's interesting to be talking about bones though, right? I mean uh, it's because bones there. I think we think to ourselves, you know, um, 
you know, that that's a very internal word, right? Like we're kind of like going and we're talking about, you know, how we feel deep down, right? We talk about, we have phrases in English, like, you know, I feel it in my bones, right? Um, so that might, that might kind of shift us away from thinking of something kind of bigger. But um, of course, in the Hebrew Bible, right? I mean, that's to say like the part of the Bible that was written in Hebrew, um, like in Ezekiel, uh, the symbol of the Valley of the Dry Bones, I mean, that refers to the people mm. of Israel, right? I mean, yeah. they're their collective identity. So talking right. about even the bones, I mean, that, that might actually be pointing us towards this idea of, you know, it, it's like we as a people are being wiped out. Very, very much. So the result of the outside forces is now this guy doesn't want to eat, okay? And because he doesn't want to eat, then he's like withering away, you know, and, and had, what happens when you don't eat or drink? Your, your body starts shutting down, and you, that's kind of the, the idea that you get here. And then from there, he seems to be lonely. He's alone, like a, like a desert owl. He's, so he's out in the hot, dry sands. He's, you know, so you can imagine this guy is like stuck in the middle of the desert. He, he's not eating. He's not drinking. The sun is scorching him. Uh, he's alone. So the, these imageries are, are just popping up here in these first couple of verses. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that struck me, too, the description of, like, the, the wilderness here, you know, like an owl in the waste places, desert owl, the wilderness, and uh, the ESV notes on that second one. It's like, we, well, really, we don't know exactly what kind of birds we're talking about here. I mean, that's not uncommon. I remember when we were going through uh, Isaiah, um, it, it mentions Isaiah 34 there, very similar passage. Um, just just looking at that for just a second here. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Um from generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. Right? It's very similar um, in, in the language. This idea of a place being reduced to wilderness so that it's not going to be a place that people inhabit or live anymore. It, it's just going to be a place where, where just ant, wild animals are. And so no, one, no one's going to want to try to live there. Um, th this is a common theme, uh, I, a common image, I think, throughout the Old Testament. Um, I mean, it even reminds me of, uh, it wasn't even that long ago that I learned about that, uh, even like the stuff about sowing salt in the fields, that at least in the, in the Hebrew context, that was something that you did actually as a fertilizer to help lots of weeds and vegetation and therefore wild animals to come. The, the idea is a, a place has been wiped off the face of the earth the name is gone it's not a place on the map anymore it's just wilderness mm. Mm. and then of course the wilderness motif um can also talk about that sometimes god will cause that to happen to to eliminate all the distractions so remember the israelites were driven out into the wilderness in in part because they they longed for all the distractions when they were in slavery the food, the leeks, the the, fer the the fertility gods, and how fertile everything was, and so the desert focused them to 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 get away from that and to focus on God. So sometimes that can happen too, where we are so distracted in our lives that God says, "Okay, I'm going to allow this to happen because you need to focus 
back on me. Well, and that's interesting to kind of think about, um, you know, how this does relate maybe to different parts of the story of God's people. Um, you know, in, in verse 8, where it says, All the day my enemies taunt me, and they use my name as a curse. Um, you know, like, th- th- this is making me think of, I mean, just everything we've been, we've been saying, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's just kind of like, you know, you put the idea in my head and the snowball is just kind of like rolling and getting bigger, right? But like, I feel like actually there's just a lot of things we're seeing that really point to this idea of Jerusalem being uh, brought down in flames, uh, Judah being turned into a wilderness, which is exactly the, the prophecy in Isaiah of what's going to happen. It's going to be reduced to a wilderness. Um, all, the, all that description that you have, I mean, just uh, the whole like first half of Isaiah uses that image again and again and again. Um, and being surrounded by enemies in particular, right? You, you think of, uh, you know, the description in Ezra and Nehemiah, how they're, even in, in, in those days after the Babylonians, like there's these 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 enemies that are around um, in, in the vicinity that are all just uh, making trouble for the people of Israel. Well, what's the imagery when they're rebuilding the walls? They have a hammer in one hand and they have a sword in the other. Uh, yeah. Because as they're rebuilding yeah, the wall, yeah. they have to worry about the local enemies who did not like the fact that the Jews are back in town. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, this uh, this does. There's a lot of things that that feel like that. So I, maybe then this this does help us get to a point where we can answer your question in verse ten because of your indignation and anger for you have taken me up and thrown me down. I mean, I I think then. This feels a lot like, you know what, God, you know, God, like he, he brought up the people of Israel, right? You know, brought them into the good promised land, um, you know, sent judges to rescue them, sent Saul, sent David, right? Um, bless them. I mean, I mean, under, under David um, and, and his successors to a certain extent, the Israelite uh, control of the region expanded and, and things were good, you know, brought up. But then uh, thrown down, and it looked like it was all, like it was all for naught, like it was just, like it was gone. And 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 I, and I think that that's, that that's kind of I, I think a little bit of the, the scandal. Yeah, 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 I think you can see it. Like in, like in verse eleven, you know, my days like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. I, I think that if that's the, your perspective, you're just saying to yourself, "Wow, like Israel's time in the sunlight was." It was just over in an instant, you know. It it we here we were up and now we're down. Like that was that was short. That was fast. It certainly was. You know, I have to. I can't help but think that uh, I know that this is not directed exactly at our country today. Yeah. But you have to wonder the parallels of the history of the nation of Israel whether you're looking at the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom once it's split, how many parallels there are today where people have withdrawn their faith from the one Lord God and put it into military alliances, put it into economic prosperity. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of times people uh, don't understand why, say, pandemics occur, but even though God didn't cause the pandemic uh, that we have faced, it, still um, it has caused a lot of people to really think about what they've been worshiping. 
uh, convenience, technology, uh, your, your portfolio, and a lot of times the Lord will allow things to get bad so that we are humbled and we come before him lamenting what is wrong so that we can see what's so right about him. Right. It's, um, I mean, it, li- it lines up exactly with prophets like Isaiah who describe all the things that happened, whether it was the Assyrian of a invasion uh, that wiped out the north and devastated the south, or the Babylonian invasion, which just finished the job, um, that either way, these were judgments of God, and, and that God was the one who was using all of these nations. It wasn't just like, you know, God, uh, I don't know, turned turned his, uh, you know, turned his head for a moment, and something kind of happened without his noticing, or um, that that guy was like very passive with this, or it's just kind of a random chance occurrence. But know that that God was actually using these things, like you were saying, in judgment to uh, to. Well, I mean, yeah, to bring his people back to him, ultimately, that, you know... Well, didn't it was, he tell it, the prophets for the southern kingdom, look, yeah, go with your captors and you'll live to see another day with me. Try yeah. to fight them, try to be a super patriot, a nationalist, and you're done. I mean, you're not, your life is done and my relationship with you is done. I think that was kind of the implication of many of these prophecies in, the, in that period of time. And so if we believe that this is... Uh, lamenting while uh, they're in slavery, now they realize, okay, now we get why we're here. Uh, I think one of the great prayers is Nehemiah 1, when he sees just how bad things are in in Jerusalem, when he hears a report back, and he spends this whole chapter um, lamenting, uh, adoring God, and then at the end of it, all he's asking is, look, give me an ear for the king so I can I can go back to help my people. Well, this psalm here in 102, he goes through the lamenting, and then he, as we'll see here, he, he's giving a confession of faith. He merges the two together, and all he's asking is, let me live. Let me live today. Let me live forever with you. You know, so yeah. it's uh, quite a, a good exercise in that when we're praying to not clutter up our prayers, but to keep them streamlined, uh, to focus on the one thing that we're looking for from God at that particular moment. Well, you know, and uh, there, there does seem to be uh, some real focus here in, um, you know, in verse, in verse 11, um, you get the, the comment, I wither away like grass. I mean, it's basically repeated um, from what, what happened earlier, right? I mean, he really is sticking to the, this singular idea uh, that was earlier in verse four. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. Mm-hmm. So it's like practically uh, the, the same sentence there, and it's uh, so it is focused. But then, as you were saying, it, I, I like how you put it, like it merged into a confession of faith, because because I do think that that, that there, there's something different almost about the way that this occurs in the second place where he says, um, you know, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever, because because the first time. Right, he just kind of says it, um, you know. Back back in verse four, it just says, you know, my heart is struck down like the grass. It, it's just kind of a very like this is what happened. But once you get to verse eleven, the language shifts actually a lot, um, and and you get um, instead it, it's it seems like it's a kind of a contrastive thing where he's saying, you know, I 
wither away like grass, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. So, I mean, it, it turns into, uh, like, like you were saying, like actually something of faith where the, the, the kind of the bad, terrible circumstances and judgment, indignation, and anger and suffering has actually, whoa, woken us up to this reality we th- we need God badly. Uh, like we are not God. <laughs> we can we can try to be God. Uh, we we can think that our success comes from our own selves. Like we we love to take credit for our success and say, well, you know, I worked hard and I did this, and no one gave me a handout. No one gave me a free pass. Everything was all you know. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. And we, I mean, you know, uh, so I'm 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 there with you. I mean, I think that we have done all those same sorts of things in our culture and we give ourselves all this credit and we, we, we act like we generated right our own prosperity, but it, it's when the chips are down that you realize it's all a gift. There, there is no one created themselves. There is no self-made man. Only God makes anyone. Absolutely. And here the attributes of God are very affirmed, how he's powerful forever, always to be remembered um, harkens back to Exodus 3.15, where God said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. My name is forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That That's uh, affirmed here in, you know, verse 12. Right. So, so I mean, you, you get the, the, the contrast, and it, it just continues— uh, you will arise and have pity on Zion, um, and, and so you know he, he's he's going and developing this this uh, thought here that you know this is this is kind of the realization that we're waking up to here. Um, it's, it it struck me though, kind of like in in the middle of this, like in verse uh, thirteen and fourteen, just some really interesting language. It is the time to favor her; that the appointed time has come. I mean, this language of like. It's the time. That's uh, the time, right? That like the time has come. This is like this. This feels very, you know, to use a big theology word, right? Like eschatological, right? You know, it's, oh, very this much. Is like, yeah, yeah, right. Appointed time is often referred to a day of judgment or the day of judgment or yeah. his day of judgment. Yeah, but before that, notice he calls on God's mercy uh, yeah. here is pity, uh, yeah. favor, his grace. Mm-hmm. So he's affirming that God, the Lord, is filled with grace and mercy. That's right. That's right. Yeah, slow to, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So I mean, we're we're getting the other we're getting the other shoe, right? Like it, like it's uh, dropping. It, like it's not just uh, that we're stuck on the one. The, the lament the lament is good, and in some ways justified in in the sense of uh, you know if it's if it's lament that that goes to the confession of faith and repentance, it's like, then it's done its job, right? It's not just stuck in lament and it devolves into self-pity here. So, um, yeah, the, it, kind it of the reorientation. Purpose. It gives purpose to the lament. It's yeah, not complaining yeah. for complaining's sake. Right. It, it's complaining, and then to help us through our misery, we remember the promises of God, because that's what we do with our confession of, of faith. It's not like God, when we confess the Apostles or Nicene Creed, is up there and say, well, I didn't know I did all that. No, what we are doing is in our confession, we are seeing the goodness of God uh, just opposed to the misery that we are going through, and that the, the promises of God are helping us through our misery. 
but we first have to lay out our miseries before God before then we can see the blessings that he is offering us through his promises. That's right. We we have to, like you were saying, kind of get the other stuff out of the way so that we have the right perspective. Um, only only a few minutes left here. Um, I, I think that, so aside from you've got this, you know, the, the time, the appointed time, I mean, that's suggestive all by itself, I think, again, of the exile. Like you think of uh, Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years, you think of Daniel uh, remembering that while he's in exile, and he's like, hey, it's time. I, d- I just did the math, right? Like, isn't it time that we, we left finally? Um, so I, I think that that combined with, here's some a couple other things too, right? Uh, your servants hold her stones dear, you know, talking about Zion, right? So the hill on which uh, Jerusalem was situated, uh, the stones particularly, her dust, um, there in verse 16, the Lord builds up Zion, this, I mean, like all these things, I think are are really pointing towards, uh, which was, I think, as you were saying, seen as a, a moment of the day of the Lord. That the, uh, the the day of the Lord, one of the moments of this coming and happening, was the end of the exile and the rebuilding of the city, and and that was that was kind of the the Old Testament um, perspective of kind of anticipating the Lord returning. where he will show his grace and mercy. That's what the faith of this psalmist is based on, is the fact is that, yes, we know that what we have done has made you angry, but we are also calling upon your grace and mercy as your chosen people to remember us and to let us live to restore us. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, the the appearance of God. I mean, it's exactly what you said. Appearance, yeah. In verse sixteen, He appears in His glory. Um, interesting, the uh, the language in verse eighteen, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. I, I think that's exactly what you were saying. Like you used the word uh, restoration; they'll be restored. There, there is a. I mean, I think yeah, there is a there is a resurrection idea here, a recreation, a new creation idea, right? Because they're because they're not talking about you know, well, you know, God was done with Israel and so now He's creating a new people. That's not what's meant here. But uh, a people yet to be created. There's this idea that Israel died in the exile. It was like the Valley of the Dry Bones, and Israel's going to be brought back to life and and recreation. So. Uh, I, I think this is a this is kind of beautiful here. Just the way it's it's not only a lament, but it's looking to God's salvation as as it is a kind of resurrection. And this is already anticipating all this being ultimately fulfilled in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the resurrection of all flesh. And you know what it reminded me of when I read that? It reminded me of the confession of faith of Job in chapter nineteen twenty three to twenty six when he said. Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, oh, that an iron pen and lead, that they are engraved in rock forever, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. That's what I thought of when comparing these two laments and the confession of faith that came along with them. And I think that that's just a beautiful, um, really just demonstration of how it's it's when we're brought low, 
Um, and, and really, I mean, I mean, it really, really brought low. This isn't just like one individual necessarily down in the dumps, but it like looks as we've been seeing, uh, like, you know, the whole, a whole people being brought down low. So, I mean, and that's, that's hard. Um, but it's, it's in that even like, you know, midst of a, you know, mass disaster that, that you really begin to see the, the grace of God and, and you anticipate that that resurrection idea, and, and so and just kind of by way of passing a conclusion here, a minute here, um, I, I mean just just how eschatological it gets, right? You know, uh, in verse twenty five, the the earth, the heavens, they will perish, <laughs> but you will remain. I mean, this this anticipates the words of the Lord, right? That um, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, right, will, will never Amen, pass brother. away. Yep, amen. And and the last verse, the children of your servant shall dwell secure, reminds me of the, what is it, Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely mercy, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, amen. So, yeah, I, I think there's, a, as we saw, a lot of ways that, that we can see ourselves as the people of God, you know, as, as the as the, uh, you know, A.D. Uh, people of Israel in, in this psalm, particularly through the lens of the resurrection um, and our baptism into Christ, as we look for that day and that appointed time. So thank you so much, brother. Uh, just really great looking over this beautiful psalm, and uh, looking forward to having you on again real soon. Thank you for having me. God's blessings to you and your ministry. Uh, you too, and to the brothers and sisters there in Beloit. Everybody, that was Pastor Dan Eddy at Messiah Lutheran Church, Beloit, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll be moving back into uh, the rest of the chapters we're taking a look at tomorrow. Till then, I'm Pastor A.G. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.